Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Well, let's just pray as we um, begin the second of our Becoming One messages. And so, God, we, we just present ourselves to you with a sense of, of wanting to explore this adventure of becoming one, whatever that means, whatever it was that Jesus prayed for us. And so from content, um, but also from the depths of our heart, we pray that you would encourage us forward in this journey of indeed becoming one in the context of today, of figuring out what it means to be one body. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. So throughout February, if, we, uh, weren't, if you weren't with us last week, we are exploring the question of what being one means. One, kind of this biblical thing that Jesus prayed for us and continues to pray for us. And we looked last week at the, what we call One United out of um, John 17. Um, today, we're looking at one body, mainly out of um, 1 Corinthians 12. And next week, we're going to move on to one vision, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and then sort of something of the mystery of, of um, one communion in the last week. So it's the four Sundays in February. And as I say, our over, uh, overarching scripture for this is Jesus' prayer in John 17. We call it the high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, Jesus embraces a relational trinity uh, and invites his disciples and then invites us remarkably, prays for us into a similar relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with each other. Um, Four times he prays that we will become one. And so it's a great challenge to us and a great invitation of God towards us. And so in becoming one in this series, we're just trying to figure out what it means. We're going to give sort of some life to it, hopefully from preaching from the front. And then hopefully it's something that interacts somewhat, um, I don't know, spontaneously within us as a, a people in a body. And I think that, you know, that's why we're encouraging you to come to the picnic. It's not about, you know, kind of sausage rolls with sand in them or something like that. It's, it's, it's about kind of the opportunity of sitting down next to somebody and having a decent yarn of connecting or something. And what we're going to do there is we're just going to, we're going to drop into the midst of you as you have your picnic. Um, a little pack of communion cups. And we're not going to give you um, communion emblems or anything like that, but whoever you're having lunch with, or if there's somebody in a, you know, kind of if there's a few next door, we're just going to encourage you to fill them up with your own drink and uh, save yourself a little bit of roll. And together, there's a little question in there that you could talk about or, or not, but just to be one, to have communion together. So we'd often do that in church, obviously, which is a wonderful thing, but we're just taking it to the places that we do because over... February, we're connecting over food every Sunday, and today is our picnic connecting over food, and we're having communion as we connect over food each and every time. So we just want to encourage you towards that. It's going to be, it's going to be worthwhile, it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be good. So today we're thinking about one body, and so I'd love you to turn to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I'll flick a few of these scriptures up as we go onto the screen. 
But if you've got it on your phones or got it in your Bibles, that would be a great place to be. And I'm going to read from verse 12 to 26. So there's uh, quite a few verses to go through as Paul talks about what it is to be a body, to be a body of people, not a whole lot of individuals. So let's have a go. For, from verse 12, for just as the one, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And it finishes in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. A bit repetitive, you might think, but, but incredibly sort of powerful and bringing home a point 11 times in 15 verses, we have the word one in what we've just read. Ten times it's talking about us being, being one, how important it is for us to be one. So it's a very strong challenge. And then there's a, there are a couple of other challenges in there which even add to it and, and, and bring on top of that. There's a verse in there that talks about there being no division among you. And this picks up even the reason for Paul writing this letter to the Corinthians. Way back in um, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11, he says, I appeal to you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He says, you know, I've, I've heard that there's bickering among you. I've heard that there's quarreling among you. This is a letter to encourage you to be one. And so we have this idea of being one, of no divisions. And Romans 12 sort of adds to the thing when it says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. So we have this idea of being one. You know, it's sort of, it's repeated. It's, 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 it's um, you know, sort of a narrative that goes on and is, and is represented a, across the scriptures. We have this idea of, of there being no divisions, that somehow we've got to sort our stuff out if we're going to be this body. And we have this idea of belonging. It's so important that we find where we belong and that we belong in there with all of its joys and, 
and, and pleasures and all of its responsibilities as well of belonging. And so layer by layer, it seems that the scriptures and indeed a lot of the epistles, the letters um, in the Bible after the gospels seem to be building up this thing about us being one, being one body. I was at a seminar on uh, Friday, a guy called Brian Zahn, some of you may have read some of his books, and he quoted the early, uh, uh, the Desert Fathers um, as saying, one Christian is no Christian, which I thought was an incredible thing, considering they were a group of people who went to the desert to be alone after Constantine. So if you know something of your church history, um, but the sense that no matter how much you're alone, being alone isn't Christianity, isn't the way of walking forward. We do this together. Fundamentally, this is something that we do together. And so we are one body, and we need to explore what that is. So we might think about a body if we're thinking about what God's talking to us. And funnily enough, we all have one. We all have a body. So it's a great example because we can all relate to it. If we were to think about a body, this one body thing, you know, kind of sometimes the church is called the body of Christ. We, we identify a body with being what a church might be, what a community like this might be, what, a, what the church might be. Sort of we, we do it on the macro, we do it on the micro perhaps along the way. And I guess if we were to think about, okay, so there's this thing called the body. What would it look like? If we were to think about it, we would probably put it in the, we, we would think about a perfect body. We'd think about a body that just looks absolutely fantastic. We might think, for example, about Michelangelo's David because it's the perfect body. The rest of us wear clothes. That's, that's probably a good thing today. But if you go to, um, if you go to uh, Florence and, and you're on the sort of the art tour, you will, you will go and see Michelangelo's David. It's one of the great artworks in the, in the, history, of, in the history of humankind a kind of a perfect body along the way. Closer to home, because um, Florence is a long way away, or this guy actually is quite a long way away, you might think about a perfect body as being something like Sonny Bill. You might remember this. I can't believe it. It was nine years ago that um, in the first game of the 2011 World Cup, Sonny Bill had his, had his shirt ripped off him. And there was, and there was a flutter that travelled the, the length and breadth of New Zealand as we got to see Sonny Bill in the flesh, so to speak. Thankfully, it was a shirt and not his trousers like the David, or else I wouldn't show you. We might think about a perfect body along the way, mightn't we? Or if you're not really a sporting person, you might sort of think about, I don't know, Kate Upton or Chris Hemsworth, who People magazine last year described as the sexiest man and the sexiest woman in the world. I'd never heard of Kate Upton. I had heard of Chris Hemsworth, but there you go. So just shows I had heard of Sonny Bill Williams, which shows where my sort of preferences lie in terms of sport, not sport, not theatre. And so we might think about those things. It's like, well, what should this body be like if we were to become, you know, one body? Would it be a body like, you know, something like that? And I think even in there, we would realise that that's probably not what it's talking about. And of course, not. We know that even if we were to think of our own jolly body, we would immediately think of the bits that we don't like rather than the bits that we do like. Cindy Crawford, the supermodel, memorably said, even I don't look like Cindy Crawford when I wake up. Even Cindy Crawford doesn't look like Cindy Crawford when she wakes up. You know, sort of Kate Upton, if that was her name, Chris Hemsworth, Sonny Bill, even um, Michelangelo's um, David. So when we think about the body to discover our route to oneness, we're going to need to go beneath the surface. 
it probably won't be just this perfect looking thing. And this is where it gets inspiring. And it's also where it gets daunting. Because being one body is our invitation to quite a lot of things. And it's, and it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worthwhile. So I've got a few ideas what this thing of being one body is going to look like if God knits us together in this way. My first thought is this, is that being one body gives us an invitation to embrace the blessings of imperfection. Because we're all imperfect in this process, but we get a chance to, to connect with each other, not in our perfection, not in our Sunday best, so to speak, but in our very imperfections. Seemingly, that's the way that God has made us, that we wouldn't all be perfect as we try and knit together, but that we would be imperfect trying to knit together. Even Michelangelo's David has hands that are too big and feet that are too big that are out of proportion. And I'm sure if he could come alive, that he'd be embarrassed about his hands and his feet, and he'd think that all you were doing was kind of criticizing those things. You know, we know imperfection. We can, we can view imperfection. And every single one of us has bits of our bodies, our physical bodies. And even if we're Adonis-like, if it's not a bit of our body, if we're proud of every part of our body, there will be parts of our mind or parts of our emotions that we know is a work in progress, that we know doesn't measure up, that we know somehow that we're embarrassed about, that we would rather keep kind of, um, you know, kind of off the radar. And so it is with us as a church. So it is with us or any body of people who come together in the name of Christ, who become one body, who become the body of Christ. Not perfect, but living with and even burdened by at times our very imperfection, but living anyway with God and each other, often heroically, often despite, but learning and growing and maturing not as a bunch of, you know, kind of perfect people, but as a bunch of imperfect people and honoring that and knowing that and indeed embracing the, 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 um, the blessings of imperfection. Or we embrace, too, the treasures of our weakest links. That seems to be something that the Bible would call us to be. The weakest links are, are actually really important links in the whole plan of God, it would seem. So some of our, um, you know, our whole society is, is, is driven towards we need to eliminate our weakest links. There's even a reality show, you know, kind of the weakest link. Let's get rid of the weakest person, you know, because you're going to let down the team. If you're coaching a sports team, you're looking for the weakest link in the opposition. If you're coaching a sports team, you're trying to cover the weakest link in your own team. That's something that we do naturally. I'm sure that the weakest link, you know, we're only as strong as our weakest link, we would say probably applies in, I don't know, in business and, and lots of endeavors that we are involved in. And yet the scriptures seem to lead us towards not, not eliminating our weakest link, but indeed to treasuring our weakest links. That's a radical thing because I don't know that we do that naturally. Do you know uh, um, that, that there is something of a, you know, kind of within our world, there is, there is a sense that, that one day we will have a world without people with Down syndrome. So that, that's seen as being, you know, kind of a step forward for us in the world because now we can identify Down syndrome and we can abort babies and, and that's seen as being... So some countries have even said, you know, we are, we are free from Down syndrome. There are a lot of ethical questions around 
that whole story because it's like, you know, kind of let's get rid of that. And Down syndrome people are sort of responding and saying, hey, we are real people. We are weak, I suppose, in the context of the world. But what a challenge that is. I remember one of my godsons is, has Asperger's syndrome. And I remember his mother saying to me something like 20 years ago, she's saying, I don't want people to pray that he would be healed and cured of Asperger. Because that is what makes the little boy now the, the young man who I love. And so it's a challenge, isn't it, when we, when we think about the weakest link, the weakest among us, all of a sudden we discover that Jesus, who says the first shall be last and the last will be first, and Paul, who says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, are indispensable. When we get to grips with our body, with each other, we're going to discover that weakness is not you know, kind of the thing to be necessarily overcome, but the thing in some ways to be embraced. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Oh, that we would become a church or could become a church or become one body where that was our instinctive reaction rather than, you know, kind of let's, let's quieten them down, let's put them in the corner or something like that. Or even within our own selves, if we could, uh, um, you know, sort of get to there. The measure of our oneness will be how we treat the least among us rather than how we treat the stars who are among us. And so we get a chance to embrace the blessings of perfection and the treasures of our weakness. We also get to embrace the lessons from those who are unlike us. Now, now, now just look at me for a minute. You probably are anyway. So this is, this is me. You knew this already, whether you're visiting or whatever. I am a 58-year-old. 58-year-old, I've got to look at this. You knew this, but I've got to look at what I've written down. I'm a 58-year-old Christian, fairly conservative, white, middle-class, married, educated male. You knew most of those things already. And I'm not really embarrassed about that. I kind of like who I am, and I like what I am. But I've realized, and this is me, I can still triumph, I can still, I can still climb a mountain. But I've realized, probably only over the last decade, that really, that the people in this world who have the least to teach me about life and about God are 58-year-old, conservative, white, middle-class, married, educated males, because I kind of know what they think. I don't know everything that they think, but I tend towards knowing what they think, because I'm one of them. And so I've discovered in my journey that instead, those who are most different probably have the most to teach me. And so I desperately need strong relationship with people who are younger than me and with people who are older than me and who see things in a different way. I desperately need strong relationship from people, I don't know, from other streams of Christian faith. I'm a vineyard person through and through. I desperately need people from strong relationships, from, you know, people who aren't of faith. I desperately need strong relationships from people of other nationalities, other ethnicities, other social um, structures, other skin colors, because they will teach me and I'll learn and I'll grow from them in ways that if I stay in a little enclave of people who are like me, with whom I'm probably most comfortable then I will stay the same and I won't get the opportunity to grow the way that God wants me to with one body. 
I may not like what they say, these people who are so different than me. Instinctively, I may well think, well, you're wrong because I'm right, therefore, you know, I need to tell you something. And I'm going to have to be very secure in myself in those sorts of conversations and relationships. And I'm going to need to know that they love me, but more importantly, because I can control this, they're going to need to know that I love them while I'm in process with them. But if I can get over those hurdles, then I will be able to grow in a oneness yet difference that will make us all stronger. Remember, one Christian is no Christian. You know, kind of thank goodness for people who don't see it like I see it. It's got to be a plus for us to be able to explore those things. And so when we think about, you know, the blessings of imperfection and the treasures of our weakest links and the lessons from those unlikeness, we can embrace, I think, the strengths of oneness. It's threatening. It's really hard, but it's still possible. It's still important for us to do these things. Romans 14.7 says, None of us lives for oneself, and no one dies for oneself. So all of the parts together that we are make one glorious whole. We may be individually a bit broken, but, but together we are wonderful. Together we have the opportunity of being magnificent. And that's why we're having picnics at beaches. It's like, because something can happen there that is as magical as praying for someone and they're healed in the middle of a service or worshiping together or going to Parkery in the middle of March to, to camp and be together so that we can so that we can know each other's names and know kind of what, you know, kind of what we like and what we don't like, that sort of thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. You know, kind of, I know because I get to know things about people. I know that there are people suffering right now in this room. And together, somehow, if we could, if we could be one body, we would be able to make a difference in those sufferings. What a fantastic body that would be. And if one member is honored, we all rejoice together. We rejoice with you, Gabrielle. It's great to honor you because you, because you are worthy of honor in the things that you've done. And we celebrate with you today. You are one of us. And we love the fact that you've contributed like that. So we all get to be part of this thing, which is one body. How fantastic it is. There's a guy called Jean Vanier, and he set up a group of um, or homes for, for the disabled, basically. And and um, they went through the world. It's called Lash. You, you may have heard it. And Vanier is, a, is an, a, an amazing character, just of, you know, sort of the second half of the 20th century. And he said this. He said, a community is only truly a body when the majority of its members is making the transition from the community for myself to myself for the community. This is the, this is the essence of one body, I think. The day that we can go from being the community for myself. So think about this. The reason that you're here this morning, the reason that you're visiting, the reason you came here 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago was probably at the end, is this a community for myself? You know, is, are other people like me? We would look around. Is there anybody like me? Yes, there are. Maybe they're not. We might come back again or something like that. Or, you know, do I feel, you know, sort of are the services at the right time? Is the good parking? You know, kind of all of the things that you get in church growth. You know, toilets clean is usually the one. I don't, I don't know whether that ever really happens, but hey, we're, 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 we're always a bit behind on some of those obvious things. And so we do it, you know, and then we settle, and that's fantastic. I mean, I think that is the reason that we arrive in a place. Is this a good community for me and for my family or for, you know, kind of whatever is the, the process that we make in the decisions? 
But one of the things about being one body, unlike, I think, any other, I don't know, social club or, or, or sports club or whatever it might be, is that we're on a journey of transition from being a community for myself to myself for the community. And that is a massive change. That is a, a, an incremental change. It is a, t a change over years and years and years. This is the invitation. Vanier is seeing it um, in community that he's doing with the disabled. We see it and fight for it and encourage it and invite it along the way in a community which is church, which means we face the things that are difficult and we walk through them and we know that we love each other in the process. So, so um, uh, uh, a community is only truly a body when the majority of its members is making the transition from the community for myself to myself for the community, when each person's heart is opening to all others without any exceptions. This is the moment from egoism to love, from death to resurrection. It is the Easter, a passage, the Passover of the Lord. It is also the passing of, from a land of slavery to a promised land, the land of inner freedom. He says a community isn't a place where people live under the same roof. That is a lodging house or a hostel. A church is not a place that you go from 10 o'clock to 11.15 on a Sunday morning. It is not that. That is not what we're trying to achieve. This is not, I've, I have been to church. I am part of a church because I, I came for 75 minutes. It, it's, it's, it's an important part of what we do as a whole, but what we're trying to grow is one body. We're trying to be weak together as well as strong together. We're trying to achieve things together as well as fail together. You know, so somewhere along the way, so that, that one body is not going to be just because, you know, kind of we, we filled a few more seats this week. You know, we're doing really well as a church. It's not going to be like that at all. He says, nor is a community a work team. He says, it's a place where everyone, or let's be realistic, the majority, because apparently it's, it's not going to work for everyone, is emerging from the shadows of egocentricity to the light of a real love. What a challenge. What an invitation. What a, what a calling forward of us to be everything that God wants us to be, which may or may not apply to our bottom line and did we make a profit or did we, you know, kind of I've filled out my vineyard forms this year of, you know, kind of how much, you know, kind of how many people come to our services. And I think all of those things are really important. But at, but at, at heart, are we a community that is emerging from the shadows of egocentricity, the light of a real love? That is what God wants to know. And I trust that in this series and through you know, kind of lots of things that we do, that that's the journey we're beyond. And so we can embrace the blessings of imperfection, the treasures of our weakest links, the lessons from those unlike us. And together we can um, uh, develop and know some of the strengths of oneness. Which brings us back to John 17, that high priestly prayer of Jesus, that prayer of Jesus that we looked at last week, that they may be one, even as we are one, whose we, we are the Trinity, incredibly, even as we are one. You know, one of the, one of the great icons of Christendom is done by a guy called Rublev in the, in the 15th century, a Russian iconographer. And it's, um, and it's this picture of the Trinity um, sitting around this table. And a couple of things that I think are pertinent to us today as we come to a close is that the figures of the Trinity, it's actually hard to know which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's, that's on purpose. And that they're not meeting each other's gaze, that they are in mutual um, submission to one another. And this is the relational trinity that we are being invited into. And so the subverting the gaze is a really important thing in, in the pro production of the icon. 
And then the other thing that's perhaps significant for our um, um, meeting this morning is the, that open space at the big, in the front is, is like the iconographer Rublev saying, it's, it's an invitation for us to move close and to be in this relationship, is to be in this relationship not only with God, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also in relationship with each other, that we would be able to gather around, that we would be in mutual submission to each other, that we would be giving, preferring the other over ourselves. That is the high and great calling of the things that we want to do. And so what we're doing throughout this series is we are, um, we're inviting somebody from our congregation to, to work with during the week, John chapter 17, and to come and pray both for themselves and for us as a congregation um, to, to, you know, a, a prayer of John 17 because it's an active, alive prayer of what Jesus is doing. And so um, I've asked Tim Edmonds if he would write our prayer today. So come on up, Tim. You may or may not have met Tim and Hannah and their kids, um, Annalise and Isabel and Joel. Um, but Tim's been working on this a little, and he's going to close today with prayer. Thank you. Thanks, Vic. Uh, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are one and that you invite us to be one with you and with each other. However difficult it is for us to comprehend what it means to be united with you, and however flawed we are as people, thank you that when you look at us, because of the cross, you see us in Christ, perfect, sanctified, and complete as one with him. And thank you that our journey is not to achieve or to earn that, but that it's to accept it as the basis of our relationship with you. Jesus, in your final days on earth, you knew that you had finished the work that you'd been given. And we desire as people and as a church, that same inner peace and acceptance of purpose that can only come from the loving guidance of you, our Father. And help us to keep selflessness at the centre of our journey and make us people in a community where you become known to others through compassion and mercy and kindness and grace. And share with us your heart for the unlovely and for the weak. And as we go about our weeks, we commit to not limiting our relationship with you and with each other to what is comfortable. But give us the courage to remove the constraints we self-impose on what it means to be one with you. And thank you for the blessing this church is to all of us here and to the people you lead us to love. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast. Thank you.